quick note before we begin today. This episode is with Surge and Lev from Devol, an options trading platform built on Solana. We get pretty deep pretty quick, and if you're like me, you don't have a professional background in options trading, it can feel a little overwhelming. But Devol is a really great example of the kind of application that is truly only possible to build on Solana. They make use of Solana's low fees, fast finality, and global state machine to do things on Solana you can't do on any other blockchain. And this episode is also a really great example of why the network needs to keep getting faster every year. Every 10x performance increase and 10x reduction in fees on the network unlock new use cases that weren't economically or technologically possible before. And so this episode serves as a really great encapsulation of that thesis of why blockchains like Solana need to keep getting faster and faster. Serge, Lev, welcome to Validated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, we got a bunch to talk about today. I want to kind of start off with just a bit of an overview of what you guys have built, how the project works, get into some of the other conversations around, you know, AMMs and complex smart contracts and kind of see where we go from there. Absolutely. I'll start. So basically, we build a fully on-chain protocol to trade options. And it's 100% uh, built on Solana. All the functionality is on chain. We support 95 strikes with the AMM built in. So we got inspired by kind of Uniswap model, but we realized that Uniswap would not work for options for multiple reasons. We're not going to go into details right now, but basically we came up with the algorithm which would work for options. And we've been live since August, end of August, uh, with small pools providing liquidity by ourselves. And so right now we're onboarding large liquidity providers, primarily hedge funds, to provide liquidity for BTC USDC pool. And then we're going to extend, we'll support Solana trading, we'll support ETH, and we'll support Matic. So I do actually want to, I mean, this is this is a nerdy show. Let's get into some of the, the details about why something like Uniswap's design doesn't really work for options. What sort of needed to be changed in the way you're architecting the protocol? What of that required a fast blockchain? What, you know, maybe could have been done on slower networks? You see Solana DeFi is like, working in different ways and you see a lot of the traditional or first generation DeFi and Ethereum working. How have you guys kind of found the architecting of that? So the general thought is that Uniswap approach, which is, you know, you, t- you have a token and you have uh, some sort of constant function to provide liquidity is not really suitable for options for like garden variety reasons. One is options are unbounded, right? So like Two is they change pricing as the time goes. And then there's also a lot of strikes, right? A single underlying could have a lot of uh, a lot of strikes. So that means, you know, you have to have separate pools for like, let's say, 50 strikes or something like that. So we decided to abstract ourselves completely from it, rethink of how the underlying market would be actually functioning, and reconstruct an options market based on that concept, right? So instead, what we decided to do is we took uh, one of these sort of classical finance works by Arrow Dubrow, and we said, look, instead of thinking of a world that's going to be trading options as securities, we're going to decompose terminal distribution as a collection of 
state variables, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially you say, look, each one of them is you making a bet that the underlying is going to end up in a very narrow range, right? So like that makes it much more tractable, right? Because it's bounded between zero. Mm -hmm. Probability could never drop below zero. And one, right. again, cannot be over one. And we get a bunch of benefits as a side effect. So one of the benefits is none of the option protocols, for example, allow you to trade spreads atomically. Right. So right. if you want to trade something that's relatively complex, you have to leg it. And I don't know if I could make it an appropriate joke, but legging a spread is like spreading the legs. You know, all sort of unpleasant things would happen. <laughs> right. That's one thing. Second, because it's a single pool across every strike, across every one of the state securities, there's no liquidity fragmentation across different strikes. Right. So we could, right now we have 95 strikes. I think now with a new compute capability of Solana, we might actually extend it to be 200 strikes. Because it's like super, super simple thing, we could very, very quickly deploy new tokens. Anything that has an Oracle, we could literally deploy within days. So like as a combination, I think it's a valuable addition to the ecosystem. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the existing models that do this stuff, they either rely on heavily on off-chain cranks or they which require is, cranks. Which is scary. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's this whole trend. I want to, I mean, we should probably start higher level, but I want to I want to get into a little bit of the trend where we're seeing the order matching engines in a lot of Ethereum DeFi actually move completely off-chain. And like we're actually seeing I mean, less case, why be in crypto? That's a good question. Yes. Right. So I think it's in a lot of cases, it's a very conceptual question as well. Yeah. So some protocols kind of fully off chain and using um, chain only for like ledger, kind of keeping some of the records more transparent. And, and I think that's a valid, it's a valid use case. And there's a lot of validity. I disagree on that. Well, I, I think there's a I'm use not, case. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a crypto absolutist, but essentially... The moment you have a an interface between on and off chain is the place where all sort of unsavory things happen, right? Yeah. We've seen people hack those things, right? And, you know, you have a transition where you're like, okay, I, I got the orders matched right here and then I'm moving them on chain. Like what prevents me from inserting something in the middle and like, you know, grabbing all your orders? Yeah. I agree. Just like, I believe, okay. It's not an argument, it's just kind of, uh, I think that there is a place for a uh, hybrid solution for the period of time when there is a kind of synergetic development of then traditional finance moving towards crypto and crypto moving to traditional finance. So there will be a transitional period where they, they, they exist. But I still believe that the pure kind of value of crypto is providing this full solution on chain. And that's what we aimed for. So for us, it was very important we still like rely on certain oracles, so there is still kind of reliability on some external data sources. But we believe that the next kind of big wave and the next and the end goal of where the development is going to is having full hundred percent functionality on chain, and our protocol provides everything on chain. Like just a small example, even logging is on chain. Mm -hmm. We obviously have limitation of how much we can log, so. There's a service which offloads the log, so it's up to 150 transactions per account is recorded, and then it has to be stored outside. Yes, so basically, if it's if 
something off chain is not working and not functioning, that you lose some of the transact history of transactions. You don't lose you don't get to lose your accounts, but you lose your history of transactions. But nevertheless, everything is on chain. So we've fully encompassed all the functionality on chain. And that's what I think the key to complement what Lev was saying, I think the key difference is some people say, look, I'd like to build something relatively complicated that doesn't fit into the current framework. So they take it off chain. Right. We elected to say, look, we're going to build something and try to fit it into the current framework that works in blockchain and then iteratively improve it. Yeah, it's very good. Actually, yeah. very good point. We had to enhance the computation and take some specific shortcuts, not shortcuts, but optimization techniques because we have to be cognizant of the available compute. And we, but we did it to fit it into existing model, expecting that once blockchain has more resources, which is happening with Solana. And it seems like Solana, every time we say, look, we added more optimizations, you guys say, oh, and by the way, we also added more compute, which is, you know. Which is great, yeah. So we'll be able to. Yeah. So we'll be able to enhance on our complexity of the smart contract provide more functionality, but keep it on chain as Solana, as Solana builds up and as it provides more compute and with fire denser coming, as the more capabilities coming online, we'll be able to follow the lead of Solana and to provide more functionality to our users, but still be fully kind of committed to being 100% on chain where everything can be verified, audited, including the source code. Yeah, that's actually, so a piece I want to kind of back up a little bit too is you guys are doing a lot more on-chain than a lot of other protocols are doing. We've talked about a few of those areas already. You know, from a kind of a base level, like what were the toolkits that you needed access to to be able to build something on-chain in this way? For example, you talked about how compute was a requirement that was needed to bring more things on-chain. Like what about building on Solana or any sort of fast new blockchain enabled you to do stuff you couldn't do elsewhere? Well, a few things. The architecture, the, the accounts, yeah. the way how the architecture, the entire like, kind of on the high level, the architecture of the of Solana is very different from uh, EVMs. And that allowed us to, like in a, on a high level, we have kind of, we treat the wallet as a bank account and then there's a trading account. So instead of like, instead of having token for each strike, we have just account which stores position in each of the strikes. Because so we break up the protocol deals with primitives, with binary. Yeah. So, for, so basically, when you're buying a call, like more or less on your back end, it stores an array of 95 positions across. So for each of them, so it's account based. So account was very suitable for us. So because of the we had account, like the, the architecture of Solana based with accounts, it was very suitable for us to provide that. That was one of the things. Then obviously, transaction TPS. Transactions per second, extremely important for us because we need to have high throughput and then uh, commitments and confirmations, which are much faster. I mean, you cannot... Deterministic nature. Deterministic nature, also. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because we are AMM. So the way how our protocol operates, each transaction, when it comes in in the, in the protocol, it reprices all strikes. So it grows 95 strikes. So if in 10 minutes, like on any, like Ethereum, like 10, 15 minutes, we have to roll back that transaction. That means that all the transactions posted were not properly priced. So right. we cannot afford it. It just it would not work, even like hypothetically speaking, like would not work. Like we have some other products developed in the company which can potentially work, not potentially, they could work on EVM, but they were not deterministic kind of state machine which has to go from state to state and pricing changes. Right. When we were discussing initially the architecture, that was important. And obviously, the compute, like, and then other things like compute 
available compute and transaction costs. Also with the with the options when you have 95 strikes, even let's say we had 30 strikes, if we were not deterministic on how much we have to pay to buying this in the like like it would kind of fluctuate, we wouldn't be able to create a like decent, like reasonable marketplace because like costs would be constantly jumping up and down. But Solana, we have very fixed, very low cost of per transaction. And it's for options market, it's not material in comparison to fees the protocol collects and comparison of leverage you get by trading options. Yeah. So that all across for a full on-chain solution, we did not see at the time any alternative. The alternative was to go hybrid solution and we wanted to be fully on-chain because that's where we see the future of the DeFi. Yeah. So you, you brought up something kind of, you know, funny earlier, which was like, oh, if you're building a bunch of the stuff off-chain, why even bother building this on crypto, right? I think a lot of us kind of share that opinion. And for you guys, that was the decision to build it fully on-chain. But kind of to, to look at that even one more level, something like an AMM makes sense to build on-chain, that you want a native way to exchange two native crypto assets, especially in the classic ERC-20 model, where like, they're all in Ethereum, we need a method to swap them on-chain. This makes perfect sense. When you're looking at options, right? Options are inherently synthetic. So, what are the what's the sort of rationale for wanting to build a fully on-chain options market? Let's start from the fact that it's a philosophical question. So, the beauty of doing things on-chain is that everything is inherently auditable, and by building it at AMM, you also have something that's much more difficult to manipulate. In TradFi, these problems are solved by A, having a massive audit technology, you know, you know, whichever asset class, there's going to be SIPs, there's going to be local feeds, there's going to be this and that. And then also you have a massive amount of regulation, which prevents market participants from doing, you know, things that somehow will break. Highly profitable trading strategies. One man's, uh, <laughs> one man's manipulation is other man's profit, agreed. In crypto, you literally have to say, look, any type of regulatory framework, or more like anti-manipulation framework, hmm. could be built directly into the smart contract, right? Different DEXs make different decisions about it because... You know, by allowing manipulation, you attract liquidity. And there are still people out there who are like, oh, yeah, I don't know what's happening. I'm losing money. But, you know. Sure. But the general idea is that you want to build something that is not only deterministic, but also deterministically fair. Yeah. And by doing that, you know, you come up with a methodology that's going to be fair equally fair for liquidity takers, liquidity providers. That's going to be fair from the perspective of orderly market. So you can't do things like, oh my God, I would like to crash the underlying, so I'm gonna buy, like I'm gonna sell a bunch of uh, options into like a particular illiquid portion of the block of, of the order book. Right. You know, people are going to hedge their delta, and next thing you know, like, there's a flash crash, right? Ask me how I know I was there. It's a more difficult problem, obviously. And in all honesty, we're just getting to the point where these problems are solved in Delta One products, right? Like, right. 
I would go as far as to say like Uniswap V3 is not fully fair. There are like ways to manipulate it. The fact that such a concept as MEV exists kind of makes it, uh, it's an unfair advantage to some players, right? You know, and then you go like, okay, this is going to be MEV resistant, this and that. But building that into derivatives is more important because derivatives by nature are very prone to manipulation. Yeah. Because it's much easier to manipulate a levered instrument than a levered instrument. I mean, this is something you hear often when people talk about why it's important to have this stuff be hybrid or why it's important to have it totally off-chain is that this is a type of asset that requires a circuit breaker more often than other types of markets. Do you think there's any accuracy there? Or, I mean, it's a tricky one, right? We have a circuit breaker built into the market naturally, mm. right? Because conceptually what we do is we say, look, we're most suited for short dated options. We're going to clip the distribution at some number of standard deviations. And if the market exceeds that, people are not going to get paid. Right. So that naturally prevents people from, you know, people who are natural manipulators are people who own far out of the money convexity. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you know what? Great. I own puts on GME. And as, we, as we're getting close to the expiration, I will put some naked shorts on, right? The next thing you know, a bunch of people are unhappy. You know, they're canceling their vacations. They're screaming on Reddit and otherwise enjoying themselves. <laughs> um, but the moment you say, look, once you pass a certain strike level, you're not going to get paid anymore. You're losing your convexity, mm. right? You sort of disincentivize those people who trade it. Yeah. And at the same time, you also disincentivize people who sell this stuff. Hmm. The whole point, the problem is like, nobody knows what tails are worth. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, when you're flipping a coin, you know, you do it five times, you're like, okay, you kind of could. Once you're saying, look, the probability of, let's say, 20 coin flips all ending tail is pretty low. Right. Somebody will be like, all right, I'll sell this. And somebody will be like, I'll buy this. Those are the two classes of people you don't want as traders on your platform, right? Because one of them is a fool, the other one is a gambler. Right, right. Yeah. So you're, it's funny to think about that. You're, you're sort of going after the anti-Robinhood crowd. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, another point against hybrid is that our, as part of innovation, actually what Uniswap did as well, they don't take, for some reason, they don't take credit for that, is that their market maker is built inside of the exchange. So you don't have companies like Citadel spending hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, in, in a sense, a you, you could go as far as to say that order book as a structure is naturally unfair because the guy who has the best technology is going to be yeah. the best one, right? You, on one hand, you're saying, look, you are short convexity, but that convexity is non-deterministic. If you're faster you do better. And if you slow, you do worse, right? So that means the smaller guy will always get fucked. Yeah. In an AMM structure, you are essentially saying, look, we build all of the market-making framework inside our smart contract. So whether you are a teeny guy who has, you know, one Bitcoin, right, versus you are a huge guy who has a billion dollars, you are playing on a level playing field. 
you might be smarter analytically, but you know, that's it's much easier to catch up in terms of understanding and analytics than catch up in terms of speed. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing you hear from high-frequency trading firms all the time is that it's better to be fast than to be good. Yeah. You, if you can be both, great. But if you are 20% smarter but 10% slower, you're probably going to lose out. Absolutely. Yeah. And that basically creates not even field for participants of the market. So right. you cannot I mean, it, it win against... It essentially creates a weapons race, right? Yes. Like yes. there was the Soviet Union and there were America and both <laughs> of them were building nuclear weapons and eventually there was... You know, right. you talk to people who trade, you know, who are high-frequency market makers right now, and you're like, okay, five years ago it was FPGAs. Nowadays it's ISICs yes. built where the order book is actually built as a framework, and then every six months they update it. And it used to be like, oh, there's a microwave. Now there's actually tiers of microwaves. There are actually faster microwaves and slower microwaves. And like, you know... If you're a smart guy in the if basement, you're a smart guy in, in the basement, basement you, you kind of have no chance, <laughs> right? I, I was talking to someone who is starting a brand new market making firm, and he said that you cannot get started without ten million dollars in equity. Yeah, you know that's not pocket money for most people. Just to summarize, in our case, and in the case of Uniswap, AMM is built inside of AMM is built inside of uh, exchange. So basically, you cannot be the fastest guy. You treat right. it like everybody treats it the same way. And it's another thing with Solana that it's actually, it's much, it's much, like there, you don't have the mempool, you I don't would have say a lot of. With Uniswap, people still have found a way to be faster rather than smarter, right? That's right. what mempool people are doing. Yeah, mempool, right? yeah. Like but that's, sandwich that's, attacks and yes. stuff like this. On a deterministic chain where there is no like periodic hashing like the, uh, the mempool does. Yeah. You know, you've, First come, first serve. Everybody's in the same queue. Everybody is super, super fair. Yeah. So I, I'm curious about this because there is, of course, MEV on Solana, right? You still have Gido running about 34, 35% of the network by stake weight now. So there are people that are using that relayer and they've been using it a lot of times for things like NFT mints or arbitrages. Is there something different about MEV on Solana versus Ethereum that? causes less of an issue for something like what you guys have built? Well, it's the deterministic nature of the transaction sequencing yeah, that okay. matters for that it. That transactions on Solana have to specify the state they want to talk to yeah. and the modified instructions yeah. before they execute. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so that, that's the most important part. I mean, that, yes, yeah, someone can be faster, but yeah. they don't get, get, they don't get price advantage because the, as transaction gets processed, the new price gets Derived right. from all the things strikes. like inability to go back to time travel and things like that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure someone will, people will start looking for some, I mean, there's always a nature of people trying to find the ways how to game the market, but that's part of the market, right? So, yeah. but it's not you as obvious a, and it's not as you easy. You build a better mouse trap, the nature will build a better mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and so how is the sort of process been of actually launching on mainnet? What have you kind of learned in that process? Who are you finding are the core users of the protocol today? So since we started actually in August, we spent most of the time, JC, I spent time to talking to users. Mm -hmm. So we started with the small pools. So we financed the pools and uh, we're trying to understand. First, we wanted to test the pipes and to see how it works, the support, everything else, and uh, response and communication with the users. And 
right now, as I mentioned before, we're onboarding large liquidity providers to open it up for like to let traders to take a bigger size positions. So what we discovered during conversations with the potential users and the people who are on the platform, and we have like about 270 trades per day now, so it's slowly growing. The community is adding, but again, it's like small trades right now, so we expect a major growth as we onboard liquidity providers. So the sweet spot for the two categories of users who we expect to join the platform and who are very excited about the platform. The professional options traders who still have the Wall Street or the equivalent of Wall Street jobs, and they allocate a few hundred thousand to half a million maybe to trade on options for crypto. Mm-hmm. They're curious. The first, they just naturally gamblers, and second, they see a lot of volatility, and that's what us, actually brought us to crypto is volatility, yeah. and uh, interest volatility, and the taking opportunities and bringing experience from traditional finance to crypto. Because at the end of the day, math is math, regardless of where you are, traditional finance or on chain, and uh, so that's the category of uh, traders. They understand options really well. They understand how to trade different markets. They have obviously information, opinion, and that. So they come to, and they trade on different platforms depending on KYC email. So they're on Deribit. They, and for them, we tell them, if you're on Deribit, fantastic. That's fine. I mean, that's use case for Deribit. We excel in short duration, mm-hmm. complex orders. So stay on Deribit for whatever you want, whatever your use case. But if you want to come for complex orders and short duration, that's us. They also find Interesting that our platform allows them to be kind of market makers. So, and that's not how the platform allows them to be market makers. So we have a number of kind of options guys who know how profitable market making is. And they can, by becoming liquidity providers and active liquidity providers, by moving funds in and out, they can also participate on both sides of the kind of equation. They can see if they want to take position as liquidity providers and make market making, like market making returns, or they want to trade. And as we introduce more pairs, we can foresee how some of the traders will be liquidity providers in one pair, for example, in Solana, which provides more volatility lately, and be active traders in another pair, for example, BTC or Ethereum. So that's one category of users. The second category of users are pure crypto guys who've been trading for four or five years and have understanding of uh, crypto markets, they understand the directions of the markets, they use technical analysis for the future, and then they they experiment in different uh, instrument classes. So they might have mm. not a very sophisticated, not very detailed understanding of options, but they understand enough to kind of to incorporate it. And as we see right now, as this next leg, like we expect that it's a bull market starting right now, they'll be more interested in participating. And as we add more pairs and as we add more interesting pairs, more volatile, they'll be betting for the upside. So they'll be involved in maybe not allocating the entire portfolio to options, but taking like 5-10%, especially if they make money on uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum on Solana, 600% what, this year. So they can say, hey, you know what? We made a lot of money on the on the base current, on the base token. So why not to experiment with the options? So those are two categories of users. And uh, we see the kind of the active, I would say, AUM, which they could use on our platform, somewhere from 200 to million, million and a half. So that's the category of users we had most traction with and the conversations kind of we connect the most. And for liquidity providers, we got a number of hedge funds who have either pure crypto hedge funds or kind of hybrid hedge funds. So the hedge funds which have onshore like traditional finance and offshore facilities for crypto. And so as you, you know, you guys were talking about short-term 
duration products, and then complex options. Um, just define a little bit what complex options are and, and what the advantages are of doing those on a blockchain. A complex order is essentially an order where you trade a spread as a single as a single transaction, right? So for example, uh, instead of trading a call, you trade a call spread where you buy, you know, you buy an option closer to the to the current price and sell the one a little bit further. That allows you to control the price a little bit better. That also allows you to to have like a really complicated or sort of preferred defined outcomes. So if let's say you you are seller volatility, you say, look, you know what? I'm happy to be selling selling volatility, but you know if the world ends, I would like that to be you know, excluded from my potential outcomes, right? <laughs> so you like, you go and you sell at the money straddle and then you buy, a, you know, a strangle to clip your wings, right? So that's a butterfly. Now, if you go out and trade something like this in, on TradFi exchange, you put it in, the, in what's called the complex order book, uh, right? And... It is essentially a process where you show your order and then every market maker out there bids for it. And you can get a good price, you can get a bad price depending on what you're showing. But more importantly, regardless of how you do it, you're going to get charged commission on every leg. A lot of the times people say that if you have too many legs, the actual commission is going to be higher yeah. than the profits that you're going to be expecting to make potentially. Right. We are, the way we built this is complex orders are atomic, meaning a single transaction is actually going to include all the legs and you're going to get paid a single commission. And in addition, the way the liquidity provision work, the less risky the spread is for the market maker, the less you're going to get charged for it. Interesting. Right. So for example, a call is going to have a much bigger charge in terms of like how much LP is going to charge from you than a call spread. Right. Okay. Interesting. And so you, th that partially goes into the risk management engine then, but then that you're finding that actually is attracting a different type of user. Definitely. I feel like for better or for worse, we are not attracting DGENs. Hmm. Love them or hate them. They are part of the <laughs> ecosystem and, you know, they got to go somewhere but it's definitely not the type of crowd that comes to us. Yeah. So, I mean, this is like your classic, like, GMX, the average user loses money because of commissions, right? Like, they, they don't properly estimate their fee structures, and so the average user on a lot of these systems, like, is not necessarily in a great place. But I'm kind of curious when you're talking about, like, professional options traders, which it sounds like are, are more of the class of person that's using your platform, what do they see as the advantage of trading on chain versus trading on a market? Presumably, they, they know how to look out for things like assess fee risk and make sure they're not going to be losing money from that perspective. So when you're dealing with the folks who are informed, they have years of experience, why are they choosing to trade on a blockchain product? I would say the two main ones are the for, the, for people who want to do liquidity provision, it's the ability to be a market maker without actually investing in market making infrastructure. And as someone who was an options market maker for many years, I could tell you it's a, you know, 
Once you get involved in weapons race, you never stop. Right. The second reason I think a lot of people are interested in doing, as we said, complex orders, while not being at the mercy of a market maker, right? Like you could go to Paradigm and execute, let's say, a butterfly on, on Bitcoin, but multiple people, and my own experience shows that the cost of execution is kind of going to be the same as if you were legging it. You're not going to get screwed on like a delta move, but majority of market makers are not really interested in providing liquidity in complex orders. Just how it is, because they have an edge, and a lot of a lot of the edge is a delta edge. And so, if you're when you're kind of looking at like this space here, like you you guys started off by talking about how the compute limits going up on Solana has been you know beneficial to sort of how you build out. Um, how much of that sort of initial scoping when you're looking, hey, we want to build this thing. Where are we going to build it? Um, what were the characteristics you were looking for? And then, you know, kind of just to to bring us back around full circle here, like how did you sort of start looking at the Solana code base and think this network is probably a great place to build this? And, and what are things that you're looking forward to building out in the future as the network gets faster? So originally I built a prototype of this thing, I believe in Python. It was Excel, Python, the, yeah, the regular. We started with Excel. Which <laughs> like all startups yeah. and Excel. It was first Excel. Uh, yeah. Just as a concept. Yeah. And then we were like, all right, this actually requires math, right? Yeah. And if there's one thing that EVM is not suitable for, is anything more complex than multiplication and division and subtraction and addition. Mm, just because right? of the compute limits. Compute limits, I think also as your... As you get more and more complicated, your code will get iteratively complex, right? And, you know, EVM is built in a programming language that is not very easy to maintain historically. Yeah. So, you know, Lev and I had a discussion and we were like, all right, you know, our choices are Solana and I think that was yeah, Avalanche at the time. We looked at Avalanche, the Avalanche. maybe. Because mm -hmm. also, also, obviously, we were looking at TVL. That's an important factor for us because we don't want to kind of educate the audience. That's like, I mean, it's enough that we like we have to educate audience in terms of options about our options market, the way how it works, the MM. There's a lot of innovation going on as it is in our protocol. The last thing we wanted to attract more TVL. And um, I mean, we now we are excited that TVL is growing. It was a moment when there was... Yeah. A bit scary, I would say, to be honest with you. There was a point in time <laughs> when we regretted being a Solana. <laughs> there was definitely. Like we, we always were big fans of technological solution. We realized the quality of the solution. And we realized also from the beginning that what we're building, as we, as we started building the first prototype before we did the seed round, I was kind of, okay, let's do it on Solana and then we'll think about it. And But then as we kind of get our hands wet or feet yeah. wet, and everything else that uh, uh, we realized that technologically, especially at the time, there was the best technology for what we're looking for. And as we architects around that technology, we also understood that it would be very hard to achieve the same one being fully on-chain and any other chain. We could have done hybrid, obviously, mm -hmm. but fully on-chain, uh, there would be like extremely hard to do it on other platforms. And that's how it's all. And then we decided to stay on Solana. The, the question I kind of um, am curious of is, are there things 
that you want to do today that you can't do on Solana? Well, I'm sort of eagerly expecting the new upgrade so we could um, improve our impact function. So essentially, conceptually, the way we built the market is we say that the AMM acts the same way as an RFQ market maker would in traditional markets, right? So imagine this. Years ago, you go to someone and say, look, I would like to buy 100% strike, seven-day option on euro dollar. Mm. And the guy would be like, all right, that's going to be 1.5%. And then you say, oh, but I want a billion dollars of that. And the guy would be like, well, then it's going to be 2%. Huh. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a okay. price and then right. there's a there's a surcharge for size, yeah. for riskiness, and so on and so forth. Our market maker is doing pretty much the same thing. When you first come to the to the platform, you could see how much it's going to cost you to trade a particular structure, whether it's a single option or a spread, if you're trading at the minimum size. But if you're a guy who says, you know what, I'm going to go big, you know, the microwave, then it's going to charge you for two things. It's going to charge you for the liquidity you're removing from the system because you're reducing overall liquidity for others. And it's going to charge you for the risk that you're putting into the LP pool, right? And obviously, if you're actually reducing risk, then you're going to charge less. But the idea is that the function that determines those charges is arbitrarily complex, right? And there's always going to be an arms race between people trying to figure out how to game this function and us trying to build a better one, right? So we're always going to be looking for better compute resources so we could add more features to the, uh, to the actual impact function. Like, I think what we have right now is decent, but if we're going to grow or we're going to add something that's a little bit less liquid or potentially add something that's a little bit more volatile, mm. we need better ways of doing it. Got it. And that's why you don't have like bonk futures. And we, yes, and we talk with the, some of the like uh, traditional finance option market makers and they explain how they would like to take advantage of our system by like calendar spreads or some other approaches. Mm. Yeah, so we understand that we're not, like there's certain like once we get to the larger size, we'll need to beef up our impact function. And that will be, as a compute adds up, we'll make it more complex and more sophisticated. And, I think uh, the key advantage of an options market from this perspective is that options do expire. So that essentially means hmm. when they expire and the new version rolls over, you have a natural time to upgrade. Yeah, okay. Right? In Uniswap, if you are sitting there and you're like, okay, there's a bunch of people, they're all providing liquidity. When do I stop the current version and upgrade? You're only going to do it when something horrible happened. Like, oh my God, we found a vulnerability. Some dude is going to steal billions of dollars from this. Like, yes, then you like sound an alarm and say, you know what? We're going to stop. Everybody everybody yeah. get out of the room. We're going to air it out. We're going to fix everything, right? In case of options, you say, look, we have expiration tomorrow morning. After that expiration, it's going to be a new version. So what's next for the protocol? Well, there's growth and there's also we're launching a token. That's our big plan for the next couple of months. Uh, all hands on deck. We are making all sort of pretty presentations, discussing things, 
making sure that the tokenomics are smart, that on one hand, it's interesting for people to hold on to it. And on the other hand, it's still going to be facilitating things like active trading in the token. And um, so also, we're going to issue futures on the protocol. Uh And we're going to be the same. We're going to use the same protocol to issue futures. So one of the kind of beauties of what we built is we can deconstruct pretty much any instrument into underlying binary securities. Yeah, we call them safe futures because, you know, there's a, because the distribution is clipped, you can only lose that much. It's a bold statement, adding safe to uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, if your upside is limited and your downside is limited, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's safe by definition. (laughs) You know, you could only be. (laughs) You know, the maximum pain. Yeah. When, if you have uh, if you have boundaries on the road, you can't get off the road. Yeah, yeah we can call them bounded futures, but that, I think yeah, yeah. safe sounds. But again, we'll uh, we'll see how the market. Yeah, the, <laughs> the market the, doesn't like. I'll, I'll leave the marketing to people who know how to do it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> again, like advantage of our protocol is that we don't have to have a separate build out for that, or like uh, just kind of tweaking the protocol and obviously changing the front end. And another like kind of next level also. Uh, structured products on top of the protocol so that we have a family mm-hmm. of structured products already developed. They're just not released. We want to take it gradually. So we have uh, 16 structured products and uh, we discussed with the number of liquidity providers with the number of existing um, shops, like large shops who are interested to kind of marketing for them. We'll white label them initially and let like a bigger kind of inst- like more institutional guys to start selling them to the clients. And we have high interest in that. Nice. And how's that process been of working with hedge funds and other large institutions? Like, how much of that is educating them on the power of blockchain and the opportunity here? And how much of that is just the literal logistics? I mean, I feel like you always end up educating someone, right? Like, about something, right? Uh, the It's a new, like, in general, it's a new ecosystem, right? So either you're going to have people, oh, I've been in the in, the, in crypto since whatever, what's considered long time now, 2018? Yeah, yeah. 2017, yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. like, you know, and then they have no idea what the actual TradFi concepts are, you know, basic things like interest rates, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And then the other version is you have people who are experts in traditional finance that are moving into the blockchain space because... You know, it's definitely greener pasture and it's undoubtedly probably the most interesting thing happening in finance since a couple hundred years. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, 30 years. Like, I would say this is as or more interesting as the initial electronic electronification of trading in mm-hmm. the 90s, right? But in some ways, because it's a new asset class, it's actually more interesting. So potentially, interesting. we're talking about a couple hundred years. Yeah. Um. But those guys, you know, they don't know what blockchain is. They don't understand the difference between different blockchains. They don't understand how bridges work. So you need to, so so again, it becomes an educational exercise. Yeah. And then last question before we wrap up today. Have you guys looked at the token extensions framework and token 2022? Are there applications for what you guys are building using that? Definitely super exciting application on the structured product side. I'm going to leave it there because we have some stuff that's hush-hush. Awesome. Well, Serge, Lev, 
Thank you for joining us today for Validated. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Validated is produced by Ray Belli with help from Ross Cohen, Brandon Ector, Amira Valiani, and Ainsley Medford. Engineering by Tyler Morissette.